Have you ever imagined that everyone around you is slowly being replaced by boring automatons connected to an inscrutable hive mind, and no matter how hard you rejected it or fought against it, there was ultimately nothing you could do to prevent the eventual subjugation of all life as we know it? Well, for myself, I started to get that feeling when suddenly everyone around me couldn't even maintain a conversation without being interrupted by the need to gaze blankly into the hypnotic blue light of their so-called smartphones. A little later, it became obvious that the general public had doubled down by having to have their ears stuffed with buds or blue teeths or whatever they're called at all times. I knew then that the pod people were at it again. If you grow up understanding what the term pod people meant, but not knowing from whence it arose, here's the second installment of the Body Snatchers movies. This remake of the 1956 film, which the writers refute, was social commentary on Red Scare McCarthyism, the Korean War, and gray flannel Eisenhower America. This film is a little more post-Rosemary's Baby, let's make a disconcerting sci-fi thriller with disconcerting graphic effects and a disconcerting avant-garde score. But is it a rat turd or a caper? This week on the Escape Pod... 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Danger. The emergency destruct system is now activated. The ship will detonate in T minus. Will detonate in T minus 10 seconds. 9, 8, 7, Escape Pod. My name is Ryan. And I'm Nathan. Hello, Nathan. Hi. It has been a long time mm-hmm. since we've done this. Yeah, we were deep sleep. Figured we had um, great distances to cross, and it was a good time to go into some some deep cryonic... Suspended animation. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you very much. Could not remember. But, you know, after a long, after a long nap, I really want to want to watch a movie yeah a two hour long movie was it that long yeah i was having connectivity problems so the end of it got a little weird for me that's that's too bad yeah but it didn't uh stop my enjoyment well we'll talk about that later what movie are we talking about good question we are talking invasion of the body snatchers 1978 the remake of the uh i believe immensely popular 1956 invasion of the body snatchers yeah, I actually didn't know this 1978 version existed. Oh, really? This was a surprise for you? Yeah, I only knew the original one. Kevin McCarthy version. Right. Who was in uh, in this movie and in our previous uh, Running Man. No, we didn't watch Running Man, did we? You're jumping around timelines. Yeah. For a second there, I was thinking... Wait, are you in another escape pod with somebody? I thought he was in... Um, what was it called? What was, what's the Mars movie? Total Recall. Total Recall, right. Wasn't he in Total Recall? But no, he was in Running Man. Is he in Running Man? I don't know. I hope so, because I would dearly love to watch that movie with you. Yeah. <laughs> we just can't do too many Schwarzeneggers in a row. We get saturated. Yeah. Saturated with quips. Okay, anyway, yes. I only knew the Kevin McCarthy version. And I always remember that as kind of a um, like a Red Scare kind of allegory, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know, like you don't know who your neighbors are. Right. They could be 
they're commies, they're hiding, you know, they're reds in disguise mm-hmm. kind of thing. And uh, I didn't really get quite that sense from this one. It seems like it has departed from that. It did, yeah. There was a decent amount of talking about conspiracies, but it wasn't floating on that idea. We open up with some, you know, title sequences. Uh, we get some nice interstellar matte paintings. Yeah. And of faraway rocky planets. Yeah, and they got like this, these sort of alien cells floating around in space, and, or spores. Yeah, gooey, or... alien spore goo. Yeah. I don't know if the original had that. I don't think they showed any of that, but just that idea, that planet seeding idea. Yeah, I, I as I was watching this, I really thought maybe it would have been better if we watched the first one and then, and then this one to compare it to. Compare it to. <laughs> yeah, maybe that'll be a uh, a future escape pod. Yeah, yeah, because I, I had I had a lot of questions like that, like how was this originally done? Where where did, mm. where did they depart from the original? But well, in this one anyway. Yeah, that's our title sequence of these these spores basically uh, floating in an interstellar river towards earth and we get the basically like the nasa stock photo of earth yeah zoom, the zoom, camera zooming in on zooming in on photographs yeah <laughs> i like that it, i like it but it made me a little worried worried about because i the, uh, about the level of effects for this movie i actually really liked it because i thought i'm so tired of seeing because it's so easy now to like do your google earth from outer space zooming in on the planet and into a state city you know neighborhood sure house yeah okay that you know i don't know this just this seemed particularly bad though the zooming on the photos and i was just i was just sort of like <laughs> yeah let's get that over with i don't need a big long you know i get it it was quick I, I appreciate, well, and it got, then it got really quick right it was kind of like dizzying that i felt like i had a little bit of of a uh, zoom whiplash yeah but you knew where they were going that's all that's all that mattered that's all that mattered. And immediately we get some, I thought, very beautiful shots around the city and gooey, gooey rain mm-hmm. coming down. Look like uh, vegetable glycerin hanging off of everything. Yeah. So a lot of moisture and dew. But like gooey dew. Yeah. Was it extra? I didn't think that it looked particularly extra gooey, but. Oh, yeah. I thought that was part of the, um, they were showing us that this was no ordinary rain. Right. And they it looked like they sprayed some plants with a bunch of like dog semen or whatever. Uh, what really? We can, cu- we, we, can, we can cut that out. Sorry. I was reaching. <laughs> well, yeah. So then they show like the, the drops sort of coagulating and, and then they show like flowing water and whatnot. Then they cut to a, a garbage truck moving down the street. And I thought, all right, here we go. Like now everyday life. In San Francisco, the story's going to start. And then they went right back to more wet plants. Yeah, they started that garbage truck uh, motif rather early. Mm-hmm. Before anything could have happened. But why didn't they wait to show the garbage truck until after they were done with all the plants? It just is very disruptive. I kind of thought maybe it was a psych out. Like, you're going to see a lot of garbage trucks, so maybe <laughs> get used to it. Yeah. They just automatically dropped one in every five minutes, and they they didn't, yeah, they didn't realize yeah, exactly. how jarring it was at that part. <laughs> they um, zoom in on a leaf, and we see it's got this kind of growing spore on it, and uh, it looks so cool, I thought. Yeah, I was wondering how they did it. It's like... I have no idea. It wasn't like a growing spore. It was like little root tendrils... Reach, reaching out from the drop of water. Yeah. And at first, it looked like it was just going to be 
it looked like they just reverse filmed some water flowing like down the leaf and they were making right. it go up but then then it was clear that it was these little root tendrils and it wasn't just a reverse water flowing you know trick so i don't know how they did it it was cool super cool looking yeah oh i guess we kind of see it begin to mature into like a flower during the sequence as well right yeah you get the little bud with the flower on it that later elizabeth uh the character elizabeth finds oh right she has a penchant for botany yeah she picks that flower and now we get our we get our like everyday life scene where people are walking around and we see the flower growing and there's some school children and we're introduced to this character elizabeth played by brooke adams and she finds this flower growing and picks it and this is when we get the priest on a swing <laughs> was super weird can't ever be a good sign when it's a movie starts with no a, i with a priest i thought we were in the swing. wrong movie <laughs> yeah i thought we were in like an exorcist movie for a second a little fun fact guess who that was i mean you'll never guess no but. i i recognized him um you did yeah he's uh, he's famous robert duvall yeah right i love the smell of napalm in the morning yeah robert duvall and one of those uh like padre style priest dresses you know right on the swing set and then we get a pivot and we're seeing from what he would be seeing. Yeah. So the camera is swinging on the swing set. Yeah, it suddenly went to his point of view. Really creepy and weird. And there was a couple other point of view cho- changes within within the movie, and none of them seemed particularly useful for storytelling reasons. Right. I feel like maybe later when the movie gets a lot more suspenseful, uh, it, it helps a lot. I liked it, though. It, it reminded me very much of that era of filmmaking. You know, they're not afraid to try weird things with the camera by putting it in strange places. Yeah, I thought, like, a lot of this movie was this director just trying to, like, kind of, like, comp film noir yeah. and just try try different things. Yeah, apparently he and the director of photography talked a lot about that. Yeah, there was a lot of weird weird scenes. Should we list them all now? Or, mm. Like, there's, a, there's, like, a carnival mirror that shows up and... Oh, and they're in that bookstore. Yeah, there's just so many weird... Uh, reflection shots and then shots where you can't actually see the person you know re- really indirect you can hear hear people and like see a shadow or something but i like it i, I, I like all the i think all the dis- facial distortions and strange angles kind of add to the air of uncertainty not knowing who anybody is who's the director on this what was the philip kaufman who uh, did a, a, a lot of screenwriting yeah he actually helped write uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, but just like the story concept, not the actual script. Right, but enough to get a writing credit. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. We named the dog Indiana. So we follow Elizabeth home? Yeah. They're in San Francisco. She goes into what looks like, God, a beautiful row house apartment. Too much trouble to pick the mail up off the floor, Jeffrey? Her boyfriend is like <laughs> watching a basketball game with headphones on. Oh yeah, and she's she's like trying to get his attention, and then he just starts snapping at her <laughs> to come over. He's like, um, "Hey, get me a beer." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so wow. So she of course like falls in his lap, and they make out, and he's excited that the ball game has gone one way or the other. All right, out of way. And he never at any point takes the headphones off, right? I don't know. But she <laughs> but she's excited about this flower bud she's found. She thinks that it's unusual and claims that maybe it's even like a a new species that's happened because oh, yeah. of, of, you know, two different species breeding together. She's real psyched about that. Yeah. It's plan. I think it's a Grex. 
A what? We cut over to Donald Sutherland's character, right? Come on, get up. Who is it? Department of Health. Right, so he knocks on a door, and you hear some French, and then uh, we quickly learn that he's a health inspector at a French restaurant. And we get another one of these weird point of view things. Like as soon as he, as soon as he walks <laughs> in the room, you have his point of view looking at the like maitre d or the owner of this restaurant, who's you know, the manager or yeah. whatever. But it's only like point of view for like maybe a second and a half. It's enough to watch the maitre d's facial expression drop. Yeah. You know when he's like, "Ah, oh, fuck the fucking health inspectors yeah. here." I really like that. I like that he tells the guy. You don't have any secrets from the Department of Health, Henri. Right. It's like, they really make this agency like the FBI. Yeah, he's... Maybe maybe in uh, San Francisco, they're really powerful. Shit, man. Yeah, I guess so. And he starts fucking around with one of the sauces, and he's like, what's this? What's this? What's in this? And like, we... It's our secret. You know, we know to tell you what's in there. Get some tweezers, and he fishes out. It's a rat turd. A what? A rat turd. A caper. A rat turd. A caper. It's a caper. Yeah, yeah. He's it's it's kind of a herring. Like I'm, I, I feel like they're trying to establish something, but that never gets really used later on. But yeah, just how serious he is about his work. I guess so. I guess. But he doesn't he doesn't ever seem like he's that serious about his work later. No, not at all. But he puts on every air of being like a hard boiled health department inspector. Yeah. And then he's really seen some shit. And then there's this scene where there's like this this uh cook who's like giving him the side eye and sort of like sneaks out the back. Mm-hmm. And I was like I was like, Oh, like this guy's like running from the law and then it turns out no, he's just going out back to throw a bottle of wine through Donald Sutherland's windshield for <laughs> yeah. causing trouble. Two, two cooks smash his windshield and they're yeah. just out there smoking cigarettes, mad dogging him. Yeah. They don't say a word. It's like, what are you going to fucking do about it? Yeah. And later on, Sutherland's <laughs> complaining about it and he's like, and it wasn't even a good bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, he's also a food snob. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. They, so this the movie was made in the 70s and they show him like stir frying on a walk and eating with chopsticks which i think in 1970s america that was considered to be pretty avant-garde or oh yeah i think that was one i think very san francisco yeah and also yeah it's like this is uh well look at what that guy's doing he's like cutting everything on a on an angle (laughs) an angle very tidily yeah like he's serious about food but he's still he's still putting celery in his stir fry which is gross yeah that's kind of Not great. Even right. if you cut it in an angled sliver, it's still disgusting. That and helps. Nobody wants it. It helps me psychologically. So he calls up Elizabeth, right? Because he wants her to come in early to look at this rat turd. A caper. Nope. And, uh, you know, she resists, but she, she caves in eventually. But this phone call is really well done. Like, you get the feeling that they're not just coworkers, like, that they're good friends. Like, he's putting the pressure on her, you know, and at first I'm like, well, you know, say no to your boss. Like, he's... You know, don't let this guy jerk you around. But then, like, it's clear that they've got, like, you know. Playful. Yeah. Like, they've been repertoire friends for a long time. So that's good. And I I'd also kind of thought that you could tell that he's into her. Right away from that phone call? Oh, definitely. Because he's yeah. kind of, the way he asked about her boyfriend. Oh, right. He must be happy because right. like, like, the, ball, the ball game went the right way. Also, his hair, man. 
Love I, that that Kurt Vonnegut hair, right? Yeah, it's great. I got used to it, I guess. He's got no, the normal curly thing going on, but occasionally it was really out of control. And I think, feel like that first scene when we first see him is extra poofy. Like uh, uh, it's wild. Yeah, it's so. beautiful. They apparently they put it in in curlers every day before shooting. Oh, really? Yeah, they they really did it up. It looks like a cross between Kurt Vonnegut and Tom Baker's Doctor Who. Would you like a jelly baby? It's true then. They say the evil one eats babies. Yeah. Why why would they do that to his hair? Was that the style of the time or was it important to his character? It's just interesting that they would go through that mu- much work or just cast somebody that has the hair you want. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's very beautiful though. And remember, I'm not only the heckler president, but I'm also a client. Yeah, I have this note written for later when when they're actually having dinner together, but um I wrote down, is Sutherland handsome? <laughs> yeah, a, I can't tell. I think he has beautiful eyes, and his mouth weirds me out for some reason. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I, I think he's generally a good-looking dude, I would say. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 can't, I can't guess on that one. It's a good question, though. Those thoughts ran through my head as well. I really enjoy the, the men's fashion in this. You know, you got the... It was oh, yeah. The turtlenecks, the, the weird patterned blazers and then at some point he's wearing a corduroy blazer for a lot, a lot of the movie yeah great looks abound i have to mention the telephone that she hangs up it's got a retractable cord yes. on it yeah i have never seen that well i guess i wasn't surprised that it exists but the way they filmed it um yeah they really went on close on that cord getting sucked back up yeah i wrote ominous phone cord reeling because because <laughs> like again like, you know, you have the split second where you're trying to figure out where this movie's going, and you're like, oh, is the, are the spores inside the phone pulling it in? Yeah, like, what's, why, why is that important? Just trying to keep you on your toes. <laughs> or the, the director just think, like, this technology is pretty awesome, so <laughs> we'll just make sure that gets <laughs> I in. Think he's like, you gotta get a shot of that. <laughs> That's a keeper. So a lot of times before we do these, I, I look on eBay for, like, things to buy that are related to it, to these movies, and... All I can ever find are just, you know, stupid, like, uh, lobby cards and, you know, promo photos and things. There's never, never anything great, but I'd like to find that phone. Oh, hell yeah. That would be Love a good one. Find. That'd be reason enough to get a landline. She goes to bed and maybe you kind of want some nookie, but Jeffrey is already just all tuckered out from yeah. the big game. And uh, he has the... The little flower and some water by the next to his bedside table, and uh, we cut to really obnoxious alarm clock going off. You remember the sound of this thing? I'll put it in. Okay, it no, I, I, I fucking don't. intense. <laughs> you have to get a new alarm clock. She wakes up in the morning and reaches over, and, and Jeffrey's already up and out. He's dressed and he's he's sweeping the floor. Oh yeah, he's sweeping up. You think like maybe she thinks he knocked the glass off of the bedside table or something? Yeah, that's what I thought. You know, the character they've given us for this guy so far was already like pretty detached. But you can sit, you can tell he already he seems kind of different even from that. Oh yeah, I thought I thought actually they didn't make him detached. I thought originally they kind of made him this like flamboyant like well not flamboyant but like over the top like Playboy dentist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like snapping his fingers. He's he's in a nookie okay. with her. He's like 
he's sort of loud and talking talking all the time and uh he had some 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 life he had some viv yeah and then all of a sudden it's just cut out completely so like i think that was very intentional yeah he's very much more subdued and uh he's like i gotta go to a meeting or whatever the fuck and she looks out the window and he's dumping the dustbin into the back of the trash truck yeah and then like he's talking to the trash guy and the trash guy points even like they're doing something yeah we kind of see like a cobwebby mess getting smashed down by the yeah the, the trash truck weird shit is afoot jeffrey has been potted yeah and so she's like on it right away she's not cool with it she thinks that he's weird she goes right to like Donald Sutherland right away and is like, there's something wrong. He was just weird. It's crazy. I'm all dentists are crazy. Be a dentist. You have a talent for causing things. So the pace of this, this, you know, the spread of this parasitic plant or whatever is going on, it's hard to judge like how far and how fast it's spreading as we're watching the movie. Yeah. But as you watch it, especially in the beginning, there's sort of all these like weird little quick things that happen that I think are supposed to like make you sort of unsure about what's going on around. Cause this is just one person's experience. Right. But she's not necessarily in a unique situation. She didn't find like the one flower bud, like the right. Like, Cause it's, it rained it's yeah. all over the city. So, like her experience is probably happening to lots of people. And like, so after she's like seen Jeffrey turn into this, you know, weird cold person who's, you know, no longer Jeffrey, mm-hmm. she's, she's walking, to the health department offices and like there's just some guy like running at top speed through the street right telegraphing uh, that something isn't right in general right but it's a big city so weird things happen all the time yeah and so you're like oh well right there's just some guy running the camera kind of stays with him for a second uh, other little weird things i noticed like when she gets to work to the uh, health department she walks by and there's one door with a glass window that has a guy like pressed up against it staring out of this door yeah watching super weird yeah and it was great because sure. you just catch it either you saw it or you didn't yeah and then also like that door the office building that they chose with that door and that type of window is like very much like film noir detective you mm-hmm. know like it would have the lettering on it and then be like you know private dick <laughs> Or what, I don't know. They probably didn't write that on their door, but, you know, whatever they wrote. Another thing that happens during this same kind of setup for weird things are, are afoot is Donald Sutherland is dropping off his shirt at the laundromat that same morning on his way to work. And he's like, ah, there's some coffee on here. And the guy's like, that's not coffee. But he's like, well, yeah, it is. Which I thought was just really funny. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> he's like, hey, you're a doctor, right? And he's like, well, no, but, you know, do you need a doctor? What's going on? He's like, she wrong. She's not right? That not my wife. And she's, uh... No, no, different. That not my wife. And he's like, okay, well, he doesn't know what to do about that, but... But it allows us to understand why he would... I don't know, maybe why he would be... More open to her. Yeah, willing to believe Elizabeth's kind of crazy story. She she starts telling him that she didn't think Jeffrey was right. And he's kind of thinking he's talking about their relationship. Uh, but then she's like, no, 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 like... I keep seeing these people all recognizing each other. Something was passing between them all. Some secret. Like everybody's in on something. And he kind of, you know, he takes it with with a grain of salt. Doesn't know what to think about that yet. He loves her enough and he trusts her enough that he's not just going to be like, okay, well, you're nuts. It's a conspiracy. I 
There can't be a conspiracy. I have written down great party trick. What the fuck is that? Her eyes, the thing she does with her eyes. <laughs> There's something wrong with the baked potato. Either the sour cream is phony or the chives or the butter. Jeffrey's made it clear that he's going to go to a meeting that's going to be all night or something. And so she goes over to Sutherland's pad and this is where he's cooking. And there's some jazz, you know, music playing. Come on. With then, his awesome cardigan on. Yeah. Can you even call that a cardigan? It's like a full sweater jacket. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that's called, but. That's amazing. I, w- I would wear it if I had it. Do you know the music to this, uh, the, uh, the score was done by a jazz musician. Oh, really? Yeah, I forget I forget who, but he's a, a psychologist, or uni- like a university professor in psychology, but also a jazz musician. That's cool. I thought that was interesting. Like th- a lot of the music, is, I mean, the score is not so much music as it is sound effects. and. Yeah, it's one of these great, there's a lot of, the sound design and the music yeah. for the soundtrack. Yeah, so it's hard for me to know how, like, what he did. If the sound design was somebody else, or if, if he was doing that too. But I thought it was great. I, I really enjoyed it throughout. Yeah, it was good. It gave even more of a sense of uh, displacement. So they're having dinner outside, and she's like, "You think I'm crazy?" And he's like, "No, I don't think you're crazy." He's like, well, "How do I know you're you?" Yeah, he's like, "If you're still you, you can do. You'll be able to do the thing with the eyes." And she's like, "No, nah, don't. You know, don't be silly." And he's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "If if you can do the thing with your eyes, still, I know I'll know it's still you." And she does it. Her eyes like do this weird jittering all around thing that I don't I don't think I've ever seen anybody do. So <laughs> not quite like that. Yeah. So of course you're like at the end of the movie, he's not going to be sure if she's her or not and he's going to ask her to do it and she'll either he's saying this is going to pay off later is yeah what you're saying. right he'll, she'll either be able to do it or not and he'll know and nope <laughs> never nope never never, never return to that party trick like what this movie had so many things where i was like well this is <laughs> this is going to be important and it's not if you're not crazy you can do the thing with your eyes <laughs> you're not crazy there's the banjo player with the dog. Yeah, his old buddy who's out there busking. And I had read the banjo playing. The the actor's not, but the, the recording of the banjo was done by Jerry Garcia. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. I wish that he played the part. That would have been even extra better. It would have been, yeah. How you doing, Harry? Hey, Pooch. How you doing, boy? So he's had the encounter at the laundry, and it kind of freaked him out. And you really know it freaked him out because now he's back at his office building. He's waiting by the elevator, and somebody from behind touches him, and it he jumps. And it turns out it's Elizabeth. Oh, he's got the jitters. Yeah, and she's crying because she's had another encounter with Jeffrey where he's she had followed him for a day. And so now she's telling... Donald Sutherland this, that she went to his dentist office and he wouldn't... It's like, so I was stalking my boyfriend. I followed him all day from one end of town to the other. But he was, like, going out into, like, a... Right, all these weird locations yeah. and meeting very odd And people were handing, people. E- handing each other packages and she was like, uh-huh. she's like, he's talking to people he doesn't know, blah, blah, blah. It really was weird. Jeffrey was meeting all sorts of strange people. Things were being passed between them. Sutherland is trying to, like, make it make sense. You know, maybe they're clients. She's freaked out and crying. And so he says, we should go to this book signing where my friend, who is a 
psychiatrist. I don't need a psychiatrist or counselor or whatever. He's like, yeah, he's he's famous. It'll be great. Yeah. He's a celebrity. He's very famous and you will really like him if you just forget that you think he's a psychiatrist. But I actually like the way he sort of like sold this thing. She's like, well, I'm not crazy. I don't need to see psychologists. And, and Sutherland's like, no, he'll just sort of remove some options for you. Like, he'll help you decide that, like, you know, he's not cheating, so you don't have to worry about that. Or he's not a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> did he say that yeah he was like it would eliminate whether jeffrey was having an affair whether he'd become gay whether he would uh had a social disease whether he'd become a republican right like the, <laughs> the three things that a heterosexual woman worries about in san francisco yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <in> 78 <laughs> it was like the whole city had changed overnight So they're they're driving across town together now, right? Yeah. And he starts telling her... I loved this dialogue so much because he starts telling her a joke. So now they're establishing they've been longtime <laughs> friends and probably were right. lo- lovers in the past type of thing. And he's like, have I told you this joke before? And he starts it and she's like, no, I don't think so. And he starts telling the joke and then she's like, no, I do know it. And they start laughing together. She's like, tell it anyway. Yeah, but then they never finish the joke because he slams into somebody at that moment. But I love the fact that we never got to hear the joke. Uh huh. Yeah, and it, but you're right. It's it just like deepens the the hue of their relationship for us. And he says, "Men, I have some good news for you and some bad news for you." And one of the men says, "Oh wait, you have told me this one." Oh. And I also enjoy the, you know, the camera in the back seat of them driving through town through his totally busted up windshield. Yeah. Right. That is very. It's very unnerving. It was. Yeah. It was like. Because you are in the back seat and you're like, you can't tell. Obviously, the driver can see better than you can, but it was very tense. Well played. These are, yeah, busy San Francisco mm-hmm, streets. Mm-hmm. I got the same feeling. <laughs> Suddenly, a guy comes slamming against the windshield and he's screaming. Help! Help! They're coming! They're coming! Listen to me! Listen! Help! You know, he starts running again. Yeah. And that is, uh, I think you mentioned before we start recording, the actor Kevin McCarthy, who is a very famous character actor, but also the star of the original. It was great to see him. Yeah. I love that guy. So for like 20 years, he's been trying to save the world. (laughs) Yeah, he's been running. (laughs) He's been running from pod people for so long. You're an expert in danger. Please listen to me. I watched this movie with a friend who is a millennial friend of mine, generationally. And I asked her if pod people was in her lexicon, and it was not. Hmm. Interesting. That was for you, right? Yeah, but I don't think I. Like I don't would, think I. People would. People would say that. Yeah, people would say that for sure. I don't. I don't think I knew that it was invasion of the body snatchers that it came from. Well, that's the thing. Like it was just part of right. of, a, of a commonality. Be like, oh, the pod people. Yeah, and I actually, I think I might have gotten confused because there was a movie called The Pod People that MST3K did. Oh, really? Yeah, I think. I think that's the one with Trumpy in it. Uh, but but it's, it's, a, it's, it's one of the best MST3Ks. Do you know what playing is, Trumpy? Yes, it's where I break you in half. So this guy gets through the intersection, and then we hear like what sounds like a, a street accident. Right, so he gets hit by somebody else. <gasps> and they kind of turn the corner, and you know his head's bleeding out onto the pavement, and everyone's just standing around staring at him very stolidly. Truly weird scene. It is, and I feel like the writer slash director really wanted to establish that these weren't two assholes for not stopping. Like, they several times were like, 
I don't know, like they hit somebody, they never get out of the car, they stop, right? Then he runs off, and I don't know, they're sort of like, I guess, oh, I guess he's okay. So, <laughs> and then he gets... He saw like the motorcycle cop, he's like, okay, well the cops are here. The policeman will help. Yeah, right, so he says that. So he's like, so it's being taken care yeah, and of. He's, and, and then he says like, well, when we get to the book place, I'll, I'll call the cops so that everything will be cool. I'll, I'll make an right, incident report. Yeah. It's just like, okay, I guess. Why did you put this scene in here if you like, are so keen on just like moving past it very quickly? But Well, they got to get to the book opening, yeah. man. Did they even need that yeah. scene? Well, they needed a scene with Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. And they I got it. So. That's true. We're coming! We're coming! We get a groovy San Francisco late 70s uh, book opening. Yeah. With the author. What's the famous book bookstore in, in San Francisco? City Lights. Is it City Lights? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's where they were? I don't. Because <laughs> it looks too nice. Never got the name. I have no, I've never been to City Lights. I don't know, even know what it looks like. Have I? I don't remember. Sarah was there not that long ago, and she said when she left, there was three naked dudes, like, walking down the street. Oh, cool. Yeah. Still going on in San <laughs> yeah, Francisco. Exactly. Yes. Glad to hear like, it. Well, that's perfect. That's, like, worth the whole trip. There's a bunch of groovy people. It's Leonard Nimoy's entrance into the film yeah but first we see jeff goldblum the book is awful kibner's book is awful his ideas are garbage kibner's ideas are pure garbage jeff go and i did not realize up until this moment that he was in this movie yeah he was great he's so good he was full form gold blooming around yeah i don't think he can do anything else but it's it's that's what he it does it can be magical when he when he, when he nails <laughs> it when he screws up being jeff goldblum it's no good but yeah, no, that's no good at all. Sour, sour gold blooming. <laughs> I wasn't even talking. He's some kind of uh, a poet or something, I guess. Yeah, and he does not like the guy who who's there there to celebrate the book. He's just bitching about it. Doesn't like Nimoy's character. Yeah. And uh, I didn't catch the character's name. Did you of Nimoy? Um, no. Doctor something or other, but he does a great job of being the celebrity fad psychologist. Yeah. Of the day, and he's very confident in his in his psychoanalyzing powers and and uh, really hamming it up. You were probably shocked. You wanted to shut your feelings off, withdraw, maybe make believe that it wasn't happening because then you don't have to deal with it. Did you notice his glove? Yeah, like the wrist brace. Yeah. Is that just to make make you seem more evil, or? I guess it's just a weird choice. It's always in frame. Weird leather glove. It was cool. But it wasn't really a glove, right? It was like just the wrist and back of the hand. Right. It looked like it just went over a couple, through a couple fingers and covered the back of his hand. Yeah. I mean, I would have thought it was like a, a brace for like, you know, people that use a mouse too much, but clearly this guy's not using a mouse. I tried to find information on it. There was a quote that he, as the actor, he wanted to do something to like make a distinction uh on his character and he said he had a friend that had a badly burned hand that wore something like that huh. to cover the burn and he just thought it was like subtle and weird he's not wrong yeah and it's interesting does, so does it disappear then when he becomes a pod person no it's always on and and we don't even know right now i mean is he is he potted at this yeah point? no we don't know because he's he's adamant so he seems to be <laughs> anti-conspiracy theory right because He's trying to help that. There's this wife who's at the party is complaining that her husband's no longer her husband. Oh, yeah. And Elizabeth's like, I fucking saw that dude. That's one of the people yeah. that, that Jeffrey met with earlier today. Right. And this 
And this woman has the exact same gripe that Elizabeth has. So she grabs her. She's like, I believe you. Right. But Spock is like, no, you know, you guys are just crazy. The way he breaks it down was just like really classic, awesome psycho babble. Suppose I were to tell you that Catherine is trying to escape from a relationship. They're like, let's go outside. Let's, can we talk about this outside? And I like how Goldblum wants to go along. And <laughs> Nemo's like, there's a redhead in a blue dress upstairs who's really interested in your work. <laughs> He's like, what, what, what? Like, just like gets him off, gets him out of there. (laughs) And so they go outside and he's like, I've been hearing this all day. I've heard the same damn story this week from six patients. People are changing. They're becoming less human. It's happening all around us. Yeah, I felt like this discussion was crazy. Like, first of all, he's, he's just not really paying attention. She hasn't even told her story. All she did was try to intercede with this with this other woman who has the same complaint and then he's basically like talking about the moral corruption of like relationships and how nobody stays together and and it's basically like you're just thinking this because because you you don't want to be in a committed relationship so just think about whether you want to be in a relationship don't you see people are stepping in and out of relationships too fast because they don't want the responsibility that's why marriages are going to hell. The whole family unit is shot to hell. David, you're not listening to what she's saying. Matthew, please stay out of this. You see, that's the point. I'm listening to you, but he doesn't think I am. Why? Because he doesn't expect me to bother enough or to care. And then he has an aside with Donald Sutherland where he's like, he's like, I don't know what's going on. Maybe there's some like hallucination flu going around. But this is this has been coming up a lot, and all I can do is treat the symptoms, tell people to calm down. And then he's like, and then within a day or two. They, they get over it, which is them actually like just becoming pod people and that's them getting over it. But it's great. And it also changes our concept of the timeline. You know, when was that initial rainfall to now? It seems like it was a day. Yeah. But maybe it's been a little bit longer. We don't really know. Right. But also like she might not have been ground zero, right? Like, oh, sure. She picked up her flower bud on day three or something or day five. That ambiguity is sprinkled throughout this thing which is great i mean there's one point where like she's talking to sutherland about how not it's not just jeffrey but everybody in the city like tons of people are not who they seem and they show her walking on the street and like a streetcar goes by or a trolley and every single Mm -hmm. window has a face in it with just a blank stare you know yeah and they also do that to effect in the bookstore when they leave they kind of pan back to the crowd and there's a few people like you know, standing on the balcony and stuff, and they're just watching. Yeah, and then another one of her complaints, and this comes up a lot, just with the when you when you watch these background characters, is that they can communicate without talking to each other. They just seem to be able to look at the, they know what yeah up. they all know what's going on by looking at each other, and so we see that in the bookstore too. That's gonna bother me later because I thought that was true, but then they kind of you know they kind of make room for well, if you act emotionless, then no one will be able to see that you're not one of them. Yeah. But I was like, well, aren't they connected? Like my serial network connected kind of thing. Oh. But so that's a little hole for me. Yeah. But, you know, you, you got to. It's a movie. <laughs> All right. Plants have feelings, you know, just like people. We changed scenes to uh, the, was it Belichick? Belichick Baths? Yeah. Which is Jeff Goldblum and his wife, played by Veronica Cartwright. Yeah. Did you recognize her? Oh, yeah. She was fun to see. I mean, she was in uh, Alien. Yeah, she was an alien, and that's his wife, and they run like a mud bath. It looked gross. You're just supposed to sit here. It looked super <laughs> gross, yeah. 
maybe I'm. And there's a there's a big fat guy in the mud bath, like, oh, you gotta help me out of here. She's like, you do this every week, man. Yeah. And where are the bubbles? Where are the bubbles coming from in the mud bath? Farts. Yeah, I don't it's got to be the only thing, right? Yeah, guess. it's just a tub full of mud. There's a complaint about the classical music, and she's she says that. You know, he should just ignore it because she plays the classical music because her plants love it. So clearly she's into plants. Oh, yeah. Very 70s. So Sutherland drops off Elizabeth and then we come back to the mud place and they discover a weird body covered in hair, hair hair-like structure. Yeah, all the cobwebby, hairy, like proto-forming body. Yeah, so this is the first time we see that. Goldblum's character has a bloody nose. Like, he'd been in the steam bath. I don't know why. He, he just has, like, a tissue shoved up his nose that's soaked in blood. Oh, yeah. Well, when she got scared of something, I think, like, she she hit him in the face with something by accident. Oh, did she? I must, I must have missed that. And then, right, they when they, they examine the body, it's eyes open and the, and the nose starts bleeding. Right, but it's eyes open. Once he's he's tired, he lies down. He's There's clearly something right. on his face. He's got this, like... Yeah, he's getting he's getting cobwebby. Yeah, like, it's like his skin is getting flaky. He lies down, and he closes his eyes, and she goes back and looks at the, the hairy body, and it's eyes open. <laughs> And she oh, she screams super freaks. And then as soon as the real gold bloom opens his eyes, its eyes close. I think they're trying to show us that like it's stealing There's like a transference happening. Here. Yeah, it's stealing the the consciousness when he's sleeping and then as long as he's awake, that it can't be it can't be doing that, right? So its eyes close and then Oh yeah, when he's when he's in the room with it too, like the little white hairs kind of reach out to him, yeah, right? right? That was cool. And then, so he comes over and looks at it, and you can tell that it's his face, and the nose starts bleeding on the pod thing. Sutherland sees it, right? He's come back. Oh, he wants to report a body, right? Yeah, they, they called him, and he shows up. Oh, we also get another shot of a just-passing shot of a trash truck crushing over the weird, like, oh, we understand her. I mean, basically cocoons, you know, but that's what I'm calling them now. We kind of find out later what they actually are. So Sutherland sees this, is freaked out, and decides he's got to go save Elizabeth. He's like, call Spock to come down. I'm going to go save Elizabeth. He's going to find this fascinating. (laughs) He'll have his tricorder, and he can tell you what this is. This would be great. Fascinating. So so then Sutherland's character breaks into uh, Elizabeth's apartment building. Jeffrey's in there. With his headphones on, Yeah, right? and on his TV, he's watching gauges. Oh, yeah, I noticed It's like pressure gauges, like, scrolling by, like, horizontal, yeah. s- slow scrolling of, like, several gauges go scrolling by. That's what pop people are into. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Ambient gauge gazing. So good. Well, I know what to get you a, uh, a double VHS tape oh, there's, of for Christmas. There's so many videos of that on YouTube already. Oh, there must be. <laughs> Jack, don't touch it. You don't know where it's been. Nimoy comes and they're they're going through every little plastic shower curtain cell at the hot baths and nothing. No bodies. Right. Of course it's gone. You knew it was going to be gone. Of course. And it's at some point in this, somebody's drinking water. I noticed that there was a lot of drinking of water. I noticed this also. So they're plants, so clearly. But even the people who we know are humans. Yeah, they were drinking water. They're taking time to drink a glass of water during a scene. And they never really made anything of that. Throughout the movie, it just happens. Yeah, they didn't make a lot of out of anything. What you're saying is that you want us to put water 
on the crops. Yes. Veronica Cartwright's character starts kind of talking about outer space also at this point. Yeah, she goes, she goes right to the answer. Why not a space flower? Why do we always expect metal ships? I've never expected metal ships. And I thought immediately of like, you know, one, she was talking about how she, her plants like music. And I was like, oh, that's so 70s. And then this is like, oh, she definitely read Cherry to the Gods. You know, she's all tuned in to all these possibilities. I thought that was great. <laughs> it was just spot on for her character. Of course, this is just the same way those rocket ships landed thousands of years ago. So those spacemen could mate with monkeys and apes and create the human race. Around this point, I, uh, I was asking myself, you know, what's up with Nimoy? Yeah. Starting to seem like maybe he's not maybe he's not who we think he is. Join us as we attempt to unravel the riddle of ancient UFOs. So uh, I don't think we mentioned that Sutherland did get Elizabeth out of her apartment. He saw her um, pod person growing like in this beautiful. Oh, and like her atrium. Yeah, atrium surrounded by plants, and uh, so he he smuggles her out. He smuggles her out, and uh, we we see Jeffrey's moving around the house he's got his headphones off so sutherland has to be quiet and you know that old row house is ancient and he's carrying yeah going up and down those wooden he's carrying stairs. an adult human being like <laughs> pretty quickly down the stairs <laughs> and it, there's no, no no noise he was really uh, into his gauge watching he yeah couldn't... i guess so i guess he got right back to it so then yeah now they're all back um i guess they all ended up back at the mud place Sutherland is talking about if this is a health emergency, we'll do the same kind of things that we would do if there was a cholera outbreak or Legionnaire's disease. I I don't know what Legionnaire's disease is. Legionnaire's disease, it's a bacterial pneumonia. Pneumonia travels through the air in in droplets. Sounds familiar. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. (laughs) So if if they update this, maybe they won't use Legionnaire's disease. Maybe they'll... Well, I mean, you can't say, like, we'll do, we'll treat this like a health crisis, like COVID, because we didn't treat that like a health crisis. No, so. we sure didn't. <laughs> we'll just have to stick with cholera and Legionnaire's disease. A most fascinating thing happened. Sutherland uh, is trying to alert the authorities, and so he, there's this, like, montage of, like, phone calls and... Oh, the phone booth montage. Yeah, like, phone booths and street scenes, and he's trying to, like, make some headway on getting the alert out about this problem really disorienting yeah and it doesn't seem like he's making progress he's just getting the runaround i do love those phone booths man like some of them had like the the interior lights and everything yeah it's like disco tardises they're great you know what else was interesting is i didn't i didn't see anybody smoking in this movie yeah there wasn't a lot of smoking that's was there any i i i can say now like a 1978 movie with a lot of dudes standing around talking and nobody's smoking. Yeah, not in the bookstore, not at the party. Yeah. That is unusual. Yeah, good notice. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, it's San Francisco. Yeah. They were way ahead of the curve. If you're going to San Francisco. So then they're up on the hill. They're going to spend the night at Sutherland's and they get uh, Nimoy over there. And they, apparently they stay up all night talking about it. They went up there. He's lighting the fire. They're scanning for the radio stations. Leonard Nimoy gives something to help Elizabeth sleep. They talk it out with him. And then he goes and tells Sutherland. He's like, Nimoy's like, look, I've known you too long. I believe you. That's right. And we'll figure this out. And he gives Elizabeth a sleeping pill. Right. And he'd be like, oh, don't take that sleeping pill. 
Oh no, I had I hadn't figured out that it was a sleeping thing yet. Oh no. Yeah, no, I thought she probably needs some rest anyway. So yeah, she definitely go for it. Definitely does that. But then Sutherland decides to go outside and fall asleep. Yeah, he's having a little roof fire. A roof fire? Wasn't he having a fire out there? I don't think so. Oh, that's just me thinking he should have had a fire. Yeah, I, he, it looked cold. I mean, you know, San Francisco gets real cold. Yeah. I don't think any time of year you want to be sleeping out there. You'll get Legionnaire's disease. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then you have a real health crisis. Whatever that would look like. So he falls asleep, and then some, you know, plant tendrils yeah. snap onto his hand. And then we get the weird... We get our first real look at the pods, which we have not seen before. And it's kind of amazing, you know, because, of course, they have to be enormous to birth a, a body. And we haven't seen any other detritus in any of these other places of the pod itself. And... I thought that was a little bit of a hole, because that's a giant mass of matter. Well, I mean, you got to assume this thing has to, it's a cycle, and it's got to, like, sort of upscale, right? So, like, the first one probably maybe takes a long time, but it doesn't have the pod, right? Like, the tendrils get into you, or the, the flower pollen gets into you, or, and then it turns you into maybe a pod from the inside out. That's kind of the question I'm hitting on here about the... The mechanics of this thing, you know, from here on out, we see big pods. They're not hiding the pods anymore. And there's people carrying pods and pods are doing their thing or a big flower will bloom. And then it will, you know, barf out a clone that begins rapidly maturing. But before this, we just get like, oh, there's a little flower and somehow something happened. Or suddenly there's an immature body on a table. But how did it get there? So plants can be propagated lots of different ways. So you got, you got seeds, and you, you can have, like, one plant that can send out runners and stick down roots, and, you know, you got your pups and things, and you got a branch that breaks off and floats down river and sticks in the mud, and it can root. So, like, you know, maybe the pod thing is the fast way, but in order to do that, you have to have, like, a colony established. So you sort of got, like, you know, like a queen ant who's fertilized, lands somewhere and digs a hole and starts laying eggs, and the first ones are a certain type of worker, you know, like nurse ants or something that then raise the next generation, which are more diverse, like workers and guards. And then you get your honeypot ants, but you know, you don't start making the pods right away. You have some other method that maybe takes longer or takes more energy or is more likely to fail. And then, and then once you get enough of these pod people, they can start their little farming project where they're growing, you know, the big old pods. All right. I like it. Okay. That'll, that, that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> I really am glad we did that. I definitely wanted you to spend a few minutes on. <laughs> no, I think that just got really boring. Yeah, that's good though, because it's because it's you know it's a silly sci-fi movie, but it's great to be like, well, how how could this work? And I knew you'd want to come up with something. I guess I had to. I felt like I had to defend it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was going for. Glad that happened. I'm also glad that this happened. Like it's so graphic. Yeah, we get to witness a birth of this full-grown. Donald Sutherland puked out onto the rooftop and all the other people too. Yeah, there's like one for each of them. Yeah, and they're all you know, starting to move and they're writhing in their cocoons and stuff and Veronica Cartwright's character comes out on the roof and she starts yelling to Matthew and you know, he's really struggling to like wake up out of one of those sleep paralysis dreams. Matthew! But he does and you know, totally like, holy shit. Right, and they, they, they see that there's pod people coming, like, up the stairs, or they're surrounded by cops. 
Oh, yeah, and he also tries to call Washington at this point. Oh, yeah. And he's explaining a thing to them, and they call him by name on the phone. And he's like, I, I didn't tell him my name. So here's another example of, like, they know what's up collectively. Right. How do you know my name? Hang up, Matthew. I didn't tell you my name. Hang up. Oh, oh, he kills the, brutally kills his clone. Right, yeah, it, like, takes a shovel to its head. Oh, it's intense. And then this big scream grows up. The unearthly scream of the pod people. Yeah, they do not like what he just did. Yeah, the hive mind knows one of their own was just fucking face dashed in. They're running, and of course they decide they better split up. And that's always great. Yeah, I'm just, I was just thinking about that. I was just thinking about how disappointing it is when you know that's a bad idea. But, but this was one. Of, this is this was a situation where. It was an act of selflessness, right? They were cornered. There's like this, this crazy zombie plant noises that these, these pod people are making as they're like chasing them through the streets and they get cornered. You know, there's some chain link fence and they, there's no way out. There's a helicopter. And so Goldblum's character is like, you guys wait here. I'm going to go get help. And you know what he means. Like he's basically going to try and lure everybody away so that they can escape. And one cool thing is that Veronica Cartwright's character, like the implication is that the three of them are going to wait while Goldblum's character takes off. And he does, but then Veronica's character runs with him. So we've split the group into the couples. Yeah. And what, um, Sutherland and and Elizabeth go back, they go to their office, right? So the, the mob gets lured away. We don't know what's happened to Veronica and Goldblum. And we see just the uh, sidewalk. You just see their legs and their feet, and they're walking on the sidewalk. And they're walking slowly, and there's other people walking by them. And it seems to be going okay, and you're thinking, yeah, like if they just pretend like they're these emotionless people, you know, if they can, yeah, if they can fit in, it'll be fine. But then they bump into somebody, and then they keep walking. And then you kind of hear this commotion, and then all of a sudden they start walking faster and faster, and it's the camera's still on their feet and legs. It turns into a you know a chase. That was a cool shot. I like that. Yeah, and I think that's like another one of those situations where it's like the, the director is just like, well, let's just do this too. Like this will just be fun. We got to shot a lot of cool pants and shoes. Yeah, and so then they you know then now we see them full body running down the you know San Francisco streets, and they're going past all these sex shops. There's like barkers trying to get them to come in. I actually had a moment where I thought okay, this is, there's got to be other people who are unaffected or unbody snatched. Right. And are they going to find them somehow? Like, is it going to be one of those sort of Stephen King things where they all find each other or what? And I thought, oh, maybe, you know, like that Barker guy's like, hey, hey, come in here, come in here, you know. He definitely did not seem like a pod person. Yeah, right. He's not. I mean, right? They wouldn't be doing that. So it's like, he's like, naked. Why would they be doing that? Yeah. Yeah. Naked ladies come inside. And I was thinking like, wow, maybe that's where all like the unsnatched people are is in there. Maybe the secret is sex. Yeah, exactly. Right. Sex, sex, sex. So how are humans going to beat plants? Oh, sex. Carnal sex. What's it like? Yeah. So I thought for sure that's that what's going to happen. But no, they got, they got into a cab. And they're like, take us to the airport. You know, that's not going to work. <laughs> Cab driver turns out to be a pod person. Yeah, so they gotta they gotta run away from him. Hey, also turns out to be the director of the original movie. Oh, really? Yeah, that's his cameo. That cab driver, cool. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, he got some he got some lines. Some night, eh? Yeah. They ditch the cab and run. And this again, this is where I'm like, I don't know where they are. Like, I thought they were going to the airport, and then 
all of a sudden they're on foot and they're back at the health and safety building. Oh, but we see the banjo player. And the dog, they're sleeping. Yeah, and so Sutherland kicks the pod as they go by. Yeah, as if that's going to help, but... It looks like he did some damage to it. Oh, yeah, some red fluid pukes out. Yeah, there's some fluid leaks out, and then, yeah, now they're back at the health and safety building and... Hiding under a table, and they decide it's a good time for a smooch. Might be the last smooch of your life, so why not? I thought his nose was going to put her eye out, though. Yeah, he definitely jammed that nose right (laughs) right into her eye socket. (laughs) She's kind of into it, though. Yeah, do another take. It doesn't look good. (laughs) (laughs) She gets a little sleep, and he watches over her. We get some shots of uh, pod people organizing. Looks like they're having a pod drive. Right, and the street's openly carrying pods around. Right, right, like, it's full on now. The invasion is... Is well underway. And I guess, uh, finally, Nimoy and some and some other characters, I think Jeffrey among them, maybe? Yeah, Goldblum's Eric is, uh, he gets a dart to the neck. Wait a minute, oh, I was thinking Jeffrey the husband. Oh, yeah, Jeffrey's there, yeah. I, th- okay. I thought you meant Jeff- <laughs> Jeffrey the Goldblum. <laughs> Jeffrey the Goldblum. Wait, he gets the dart in the neck? Yeah, so it's like 2 a.m. Oh. They're under they're under the desk. Um, the security guard, they see a security guard coming. They jump up to go get away or something, and there's a dartboard. And uh, Sutherland grabs two of the darts out of the dartboard as they're running by it. Oh, yeah. I think he was supposed to get all three because they were grouped together, but one, one stayed behind, and the, this director doesn't do second takes, I guess. <laughs> no, sir. Keep it rolling. Nice grouping. Oh, and they found some speed or something, some amphetamines, so they wouldn't fall asleep. (laughs) They found some, like, bottle of Dexedrine or something, and it says take one, so they take five. Yeah, which is good because they're given a sedative. Leonard Nimoy's character is trying to make them fall asleep so that they can just, you know, get this over with. Oh, yeah, and he says it's being born again into an untroubled world. You're evolving into a new life form. Yeah, and everybody's like, there's no anxiety and there's no love and everything works great. And once you do it, you'll be happy. And mm-hmm. Goldblum agrees and Jeffrey agrees. As Sutherland is sort of becoming more and more relaxed after getting his sedative injection. He's He tells Nimoy, Baby, you're killing me. The last second, Sutherland fights back, sticks a dart in the back of, of Goldblum's neck. Oh, and, fucking darts him behind the ear. Yeah, and then throws... Uh, Nimoy in a freezer. These are probably not frost-tolerant plants, so he didn't like that. And now, did you think at this point that, oh, maybe this is going to be the way out? They're going to discover, yeah. like the blob, that they don't like the cold or something? Or it's going to be the opposite. All the humans are going to live up at the poles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was, I definitely was having the thought. One, I was already thinking geez there's not really a way out of this yeah that's what i was thinking you know there's like it's gone way too far and when i when they locked nimoy into the walk-in i was like oh no is this gonna be cold is the answer and right but how do you make everything cold well right exactly do they find a resistance and start fire extinguishing everybody (laughs) yeah but that didn't happen that's good there's a great scene of leonard nimoy pounding on the glass of the walk-in cooler yeah, unhappy. Very unhappy. That was really fun. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it was sort of like Mars Attacks. Did you ever see that movie? Oh, of course. It's that same kind of situation where you're like, oh, this has gone really bad and the invasion is everywhere and there's no way out, except it turns out if you just play country music, their heads explode. Yeah, yodeling does it. Right, yeah. And in this movie, it felt like that was never going to happen. Right, and movies like this often have a last desperate solution. And I was internally beginning to groan if that was what was going to happen, but it also, I was in it. Like, I was really enjoying this movie, so... They're back out on the street, and uh, and they're with Veronica again, right? And she's the one who's like, hide your emotions, and they won't know it's us. Yeah, they run into her. She she was looking for them, and yeah, she's like got these great survival skills already. Turns out she's the one that the, that should have been in charge of everything. Yeah, she's in tune. I've been wandering among them for hours. They can be fooled. She's got it, and they're walking through. There's definitely like a a loudspeaker voice going like loading and talking about loading and unloading, right? Um, and so they're they're doing a good job, and then we get yeah. Then what what the fuck? Holy shit! The dog <laughs> with the busker's face yeah. comes out of nowhere, like barking at them, and did not see that coming at all. No, it was so insane. It was amazing, and they do a good job of only showing it a split second. Yeah. Because that was also a practical of some kind I read, like a mask they had put on the dog or something. Oh, really? But it it, it gives you a good jump. You're like, oh, yeah. holy shit, what the fuck? Ah! Yeah. And they, they, of course, lose their shit. Because who wouldn't? Yeah, I mean, do you think that was because he kicked the pod? It got some weird, screwed it up, put the, put the human head on the dog body? I just assume it's because it just took them together. And it just like made the best chimera out of the. <laughs> yeah, it was so crazy. Oh, it was creepy as fuck. It was really grotesque. Very, a uh, very well played. I thought. You know, they were not able to keep their cool. Like Veronica scream, and not Veronica. Um, Elizabeth screams. Now they're on the run again, right? Because they've shown some emotion. And Veronica, I think, is just playing it cool. She she doesn't run. She just hangs back. She's like, well, I'm not. She knows exactly what to do. So once again, you know, it's our two heroes um, on the run and they jump in the back of a truck. It's like they're on the back of an empty box truck and it drives to this big facility where they they have a forklift and they're going to put pods on this truck. So they sneak off the truck and they've discovered this large growing facility. It's out on the docks, right? Yeah. They're moving around and I guess she sprains her ankle. And so they have to like... She shouldn't have those shoes on. Yeah. I mean, when she was running to jump on the truck as it was moving, that stunt person was definitely wearing weird shoes because they got that that step looked really realistic. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be if you got to run, you don't want to be wearing any kind of heel. Yeah, it was like a fairly big Chuck heel. At least she wasn't wearing like stilettos or something. Yeah, but still, oof. But I, I thought it was a good job with the stunt person to like really simulate that because I, I, when when I watched it, I was like, oh god, it looks so painful to be running and then jumping onto that truck. The yellow zone is for loading and unloading only. Listen, buddy, don't start off with your white zone shit again. So they're checking out the the facility. Yeah, she sprains her ankle, so then he lays her down in the weeds. Also, did like bagpipes start playing at this point? Yeah, so that's when the bagpipes come in. What was up with that? I don't know. <laughs> it was so strange. Yeah, I thought this... So this was another, like, red herring, as I thought it was going to be, like, oh, like, these... An army of Scotsmen, free Scotsmen, were going to come and well, save the yeah, day? Maybe you're, like, 
you know, these plant people have no emotions, so why would they be into music? So this music is coming from non, you know, pod people, right? Humans, and maybe it is sort of like call to arms, you know, because bagpipes are loud. So you, you know, I guess that would make sense to get all of the, you know, the unsnatched people together. But but, but it meant nothing at all. No. So Sutherland <laughs> leaves her, and you know, again, you're like, oh God, you know, don't leave somebody behind. Oh, right, and he sees uh, the big pallets of pods being loaded onto the ships. He's like, I'm going to go check out the bagpipes and the boats, and that, that'll be our way out of here. But yeah, he goes and he sees that they're just loading pods onto boats. So so it's it's just going out across the world now. Yeah. You know, if you didn't already think it was too big to deal with, it's like, ah, oh, fuck, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's over. <laughs> He goes back to her, and of course, you know, she's either going to be gone or dead or something, right? You know that. But uh, she's asleep, and he can't wake her up, and he declares his undying love for her. Mm-hmm. And holds her, and she shrivels up and falls, slips out of his hands. To really good effect, I thought. Yeah, that was not bad. Her, like, empty husk kind of collapsing in on itself. Yeah. And we finally get confirmation on what all that cocoony stuff was that they were putting into the trash trucks. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's like the remnants of the person. Yeah. She just kind of like and collapses into nothing. And then and then the new Jennifer, or Jennifer, the new Elizabeth pops up from behind some weeds. Yeah. And we get our, you know, obligatory 70s shirtless girl shot. Because yes. you got to have that. Well, she's going to be naked. That's just how alien body snatching works. Yeah, they don't reproduce the clothes. It's not called clothing snatching. It's body snatching. There's nothing to be afraid of. They were right. It's painless. So she's like, hey, it's all right, Matthew. Cool, man. And he's like, no, it is not. And he starts running and he climbs up into the girders of the little warehouse there and starts... Well, I like how he triggers the firearm by removing the axe. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. I did not know that was a thing either. I guess it makes sense. It makes total sense. It's great. Yeah. Uh, two birds with one stone there. And he starts like cutting all the these electric cables that are starting a fire. And there's... Yeah, the lights are falling down onto the plants and the pods are catching fire. And then there's pod people running hither and thither with their arms full of pods and stuff. And he's doing this while he's wearing his corduroy blazer well it's probably so scotch guarded yeah you know? and you got it's, it probably had elbow patches which really helped you know the reinforcement helps you when you're oh, of course because you never know whether you're a uh, city health inspector or you're a tenured college literary uh, literature philosophy professor you, know, you never know when you're going to have to do some belly crawls or that's right so the pod people are all letting loose their crazy screams and i like that she comes through and points her finger arm fully extended and is just like howling yeah it's a great horrible scream uh i read that uh the sound designer who also worked with lucas on star wars and stuff uh one of the things he mixed into the scream was pig squealing ah which is a few things but you can kind of hear it in there that high-pitched unnerving sound glad to know that she just didn't generate that all by herself yeah it didn't just come out of that actress's mouth yeah imagine being asked to stand there naked and make make that noise that's her other party trick 
Yeah, right. See, he should have been like, do the thing with your eyes. Ask if you have a question. The scene changes, and it's the next day or whatever, and it seems like business as usual. Uh, We're following Donald Sutherland about his day, and I think this ending is really well done. It's very much, um, oh, well, maybe he's learned to fit in. Yeah, because he goes and he looks at her. Yeah, he lingers. He has a lingering gaze on her. All the people in her lab were just kind of staring blankly. Right, so you think, like, he's just doing his thing, and the way he can enjoy his life is to be able to kind of watch her and and, and see her every once in a while. Yeah, to try to maybe figure out a solution, but just try to keep going. Yeah. And he's walking uh, through the city, and then uh, Veronica Cartwright shows up, starts calling his name, and zooms in on him, and he turns and looks at her, and... Out goes the arm and the finger, and the jaw just drops and lets out that screech. He got potted. Yeah, that's a great shot. It's a great shot, and I was so happy that it ended that way. I mean, Veronica, the character, but also the actress is great, but... uh. Yeah, I mean, imagine if she had been in charge. Do you think things would have worked out better? So how's she not gone to sleep? Right. We don't know how much time has passed. Yeah. So she's really learned to adapt to living in the shadows. How long has it been? How how has she not slept? Because we learned that it happens while you sleep. But it's great that she's just a survivor. She just assumed that he was too. We have to wonder, are there others? Right. And she lets out a terrific scream. It was like getting killed by the xenomorph level Veronica Cartwright scream. So, you know, she was originally cast to be Ripley. Oh, no shit. Fascinating. Yeah. So I don't know if Sigourney Weaver was cast as... Her her character? I don't know if they switched or what, but she was originally cast as Ripley. I would like to report four bodies in my backyard. Wait right there, Mr. Bennell. What did you think about 1978's The Invasion of the Body Snatchers? I liked it. That was pretty good. I, I think I was more into it at the beginning, and then it felt the kind of the more that it went on, the more that I wish that it had been tightened up a bit or been... I felt like it did end up just being this, I don't know, more like a construction exercise by the director to, like, play with filmmaking than it was to, like, make, like, the best version of that movie. Do you recommend it? Uh, to who? Good question. In general... To the general listenership, if someone has not seen this, uh, whether they are a fan of the original or have never seen any of the movies in this canon. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I like, I mean, I think Donald Sutherland and Goldblum and Nimoy are a lot of fun in this. And I think Veronica Cartwright is fun to see her in this role. Like, I think both Veronica and, uh, Cartwright and Brooke Adams are, were a lot of fun in it, too, so... I think just for those the performances of those five people, it's worth watching. I agree. I can see where, you know, it could have lost probably 20 minutes uh, and, and been a little bit of a tighter production, but I... I guess when I say tighter, I even mean more clever. Like, there could have just been more reward, you know, where things sort of paid off or things were... Too many, too many loose threads for you? Well, I, li- I like the idea of not everything having to be significant, like the randomness of some of it. But I do feel like it was pretty predictable. I got the feeling that I knew what was going to happen, and it, it, that's pretty much what did happen. Yeah. Well, I didn't really remember that it, that it ended the way it ended. 
And like I said, I was very happy about that because we don't, especially these days, we don't get a lot of movies that end on that kind of tone. Yeah, it was, it was really great that it, yeah, it didn't turn out that they solved anything. Right, there was no triumph of humankind and the human ingenuity that pulled this out of the fire. It's just over. And there wasn't that that like sort of Star Trek thing where it's like humans versus aliens, and it's that it's what makes us human that <laughs> helps us survive. You right. know, exactly, exactly. Like, it's just like we just got tranced by this thing. Yeah, and it's yeah, almost yeah. just like a like a cosmic evolutionary force or something. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I, I like I appreciated that that twist. That, and actually, I read that that scene was a last minute idea. To end it that way, they had a different ending, and nobody even really knew that they were going to shoot that up until the day. And also that whoever wrote this, uh, the the anecdote is that Veronica Cartwright didn't really even know until the scene huh. that that's what was going to happen. So if that's true, that's great, because she, then she really rolled with it. Yeah. So <laughs> she, even when the scene was happening, she didn't know that he was going to finger her? Or? Right, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome e- even knowing the gist of it and knowing where where the story arc goes i really like you say i also i really enjoyed the performances it's a really they're really fun i enjoyed the time and place of san francisco in 1978 i think that's fun to visit and i think that they did do a really good job with creating suspense and with just the weird weird cinematography and vignettes of staring people and weird odd little things just to keep you off balance keep you on your on the edge and 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 it really worked for me i really enjoyed it i do recommend it for fun i recommend seeing it with a friend i recommend like this is a great like drive-in movie since we're doing that more these days yeah you know especially like like summer drive-in maybe double feature with something I reckon we gotta figure out our next movie, right? Yeah. You wanna do something funny? Like funny haha, funny weird. <laughs> I don't know. How about uh John Carpenter's first film? What's that? Uh, 1974's Dark Star. Dark Star, I don't even know what that is. It is everything you asked for. Oh wow. Yeah. Yes please. Okay. Next episode of the Escape Pod, we're gonna take a deep dive into John Carpenter directed, John Carpenter soundtrack, <laughs> um, a, a real bizarro space cowboy film. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know of it, but looking at the uh, Google images, it looks perfect. Great song that he wrote in this movie that we've covered for fun once in a while, sitting at home playing, that's all about Benson, Arizona, which is right down the road from... Mm. From, uh, from our escape from pod. From our escape pod, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, uh, we got to say we uh, are thankful for everyone who's tuning in. And if you like the podcast, please hit subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Five stars only, please. We appreciate you sticking with us as we figure out, you know, we're new at this, working out our technical difficulties and the whatnot. i also like to thank Golden Boots for creating our theme song you can catch their music at Bandcamp or anywhere you get music and you can email us at sci-fi escape pod at gmail yeah and if you if you leave us a five-star review on 
what's that thing called? Apple iTunes? Uh, just iTunes. You can be entered into a random drawing to get a free copy of Chariots of the Gods by Eric Von Daniken. We look forward to seeing you with us next time in the Escape Pod. In the meantime, I'm going to uh, take some more of those pills and go back into my cryo chamber. Don't go to sleep. Oh, shit. <laughs> you haven't learned anything. Clearly not.